and welcome to Veterans to Success. Today, I have no other than Fiona Jones. Fiona served in the military, but I'm not going to give you a big build up because during the conversation, this is all going to come out anyway. So, hello, Fiona. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Hi, Joe. I'm fine. How are you today? All right. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much. Yeah. So, yeah, it's great to have you on the show. And, uh, what I want to come through as we're chatting is is about the trials and tribulations. You've had a very interesting career, uh, yeah, and we had a chat, uh, uh, and it made me chuckle. It also made me a little bit sad at times because I didn't realise that that went on. Although I was shocked, I wasn't surprised, and you're going to be telling us more about that. Tell me a little bit about your life before the military and what was going on. Before, just kind of normal, you know, working class background, um, little town just outside um, Nottingham. Um, didn't really know what I wanted to do when I left school. Um, my sister had gone on and done A-levels in um, university and stuff, and I knew I don't – that wasn't for me because right. I'm not a sit-in-a-classroom learner. I'm a kind of learning as uh, on-the-job sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so – I don't even know how I fell into it, but I ended up applying for an apprenticeship um, as a plumber um, and I got the apprenticeship um, and I went on and did the um, four day, a four year apprenticeship um, as a plumber. And it was where you went to the technical college where you did um, two hours on a Monday doing the theory. And then on an all day Wednesday where we did, you know, all your pipe fitting and welding and all that sort of stuff and heating systems and things. So, yeah, and actually it was it was a bit weird because it was the days of uh, YTS training schemes, if you remember uh, that. Youth training scheme. Yeah. I remember those. So <laughs> when I was on my college course, obviously, I mean, this was like the late 80s, so I was the only female on the course. Um, and I was the only one on a proper apprenticeship. So they were all on £27.50. Um, and I was on like the big £50 a week. So I was wow. a lot richer than that. <laughs> as um, much as that. Wow. Yeah, yeah £50 a week for the first one. And then because it was an apprenticeship, you got your annual pay rise. And I got a birthday pay rise as well. Wow, right. um, so I was kind of <laughs> living the dream. Um, and yeah, um, and I loved it. Um, I was on, like I say, I was on building sites doing all sort of more industrial plumbing rather than yeah. domestic in houses, right. um, okay. which was, again, that made the instructor, he was always laughing about it because all the lads were doing domestic, all the little sort of fiddly stuff, and I was doing these huge, big you know, <laughs> um, gas and water mains on building sites. But, wow. um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. But, um, when the apprenticeship came to an end, the company then took on more apprentices because it's yeah. cheaper. They didn't have to pay big uh, wages. Okay, yeah. So, um, and then it was like, what I was going to do then? And I remember I walked past the careers office and I went in and it was a Royal Engineer. And I said, Ah, Saka, one of my, yeah. my chaps, right? Okay. Yeah, one of yours. And uh, I said, Oh, I, you know, I want to join the army. I'm a qualified plumber. And he was going, Oh, yeah, we have plumbers in the engineers and you can be a plumber in the army. And I was like, Oh, amazing. So booked in to go and do the test, um, you know, a couple of weeks later, sat, did the test, and a lady came out and she said, oh, do you know what you're going to do? I said, yeah, I'm going to be a plumber. And she said, no, you're not, because you can't join the Royal Engineers. And I was like, oh. And, um, and how did that how did that make you feel? And by the way, I'm just going to catch up a little bit with you now because I know YTS scheme because I was on one and, and you're only 21 because that proves <laughs> it because 
I I was when I was doing my uh, scheme, it was nineteen pound fifty ah. a, a week. So <laughs> I got I, I wasn't on as much as you. You you were earning <laughs> a fortune. <laughs> and and by the way, just because right, so you're a young girl uh, at this stage. How did it feel being like it? I, I mean, in, in that time, like a few years ago, it was a male dominated game, wasn't yeah. it? Really? So, how did it feel? And by the way, you were working in commercial plumbing rather, and industrial yeah. plumbing rather than domestic. So, how did you fit in and what sort of pressure did you feel under, if any? Well, my little, the little kind of firm that I worked with, they they were all all right. Obviously, when we moved on to sort of like building sites, there was. You know, <laughs> Um, it was a bit odd for people, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and you know, things were kind of done, but not too bad, if that makes sense, because um, I do remember getting quite, um, I was quite shocked one morning when I went in, because we all had to wear our little steel toe cap boots, and we used to leave them in the porter cabin on site, and, you know, obviously go in your trainers or whatever, and somebody had very nicely um, decided to urinate in my boots, oh, and nice. I was like, you know, obviously a bit upset. But they did say, well, have a look, Fiona, what they've just done to the boy apprentice. And he was hung from the scaffolding, you know, all kind of greased up and not dressed. So oh, right. okay. So I, I was like, well, I'll go with the urine in my boots then. I'll just <laughs> yeah, I suppose that was a softer option, wasn't it, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, um, but yeah, there was nothing. I mean, a few as an apprentice, I had to make the brews. If um, the brew wasn't right, they then would throw it more often than not, over me, really? um, which wasn't great. But I learned to make an amazing cup of tea, really. <laughs> yeah, that's you know self-preservation. Yeah, yeah. so, um, but yeah, it wasn't anything outrageous or traumatising, I'll be honest right. with you, okay. you know. So, yeah. yeah, it wasn't as bad as you would expect it to be in the late 80s. So, right, um, okay. Yeah, wasn't so, that bad, to be fair. So, well, that's that's good, because I, wa- because I wanted to... Do a, com- a compare and contrast because of what we're going to be discussing a little bit later. Yeah. Engineers, you wanted to go in the Royal Engineers, Corps of Royal Engineers, which I, I was in. And I, I suppose, because we chatted about this, the only yeah. the only reason I would I could possibly think that you weren't able to join is because a lot of it, and 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 I've worked with some brilliant women in the army, and I know that they've they've held their own against blokes. Sometimes, though, when it comes to bridge building or some of the more physical things, that might have been uh, perhaps a bridge too far to to coin a phrase. So, so then, what did you what did you go in instead? So yeah, I ended up. She went through all the options that I did have open to me and I ended up um, joining Remy um, as a vehicle mechanic and doing um, my trade training at Me down at Borden, um, my right. basic okay. course kind of down yeah. there. So, yeah. And how how was that? And of course, uh, there's quips about Royal Engineers and how it fits in with Remy, which you, yeah. <laughs> which you know about. <laughs> how did that go, your training? Basic course... Yeah, you know, it was fine, and there was nothing because basically because it was weird. My my time when I joined, I did um, WR. It was WREC for a very small kind of portion of my time. Yeah, so which my is the women's training, Royal, women's Royal Army Corps. Yeah, yeah. Right. So okay. my basic training was Guildford um, yeah. as WRAC, but we were like we then went really attached. So even though right, you know okay. had, um, but then we got 
I think I was only probably in probably about nine months and then we all got recapped by Janeway because WREC was disbanded. Then going at CME um, was nothing kind of, yeah, we just did a basic course. They'd ha- I wasn't the first one, do you know what I mean? So a, couple of, a few female VMs had gone through on the course and there was lots of female, um, we had our own, you know, obviously as you do your own block and everything and there was yeah. armourers, electricians at the time because that was a separate trade when I joined and VMs. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't anything. And it was just normal phase two training. Do you know what I mean? Right, um, yeah. <clears throat> um, but then at the end, um, when you get given your posting, the top student gets the first choice and, you know, all that kind of stuff. There was a little asterisk next to my name and I had to go. And when I asked the, you know, the instructor, I said, why is that? And he said, well, that's because that's the only unit that will take you. Because at the time, there's a lot of units not taking females. Um, for whatever reason, you know. So yeah, and and we. And how did how did that how did that make you feel? It was a bit. I I, yeah. I think to be fair, I was a bit like oh, because I don't know because when I got there, I wasn't the only female there. Do you know what I mean? And Mm. because basic training, you know, there's women that every rank. I kind of when you don't know because you're just joining an, an establishment, you don't really know. I just presumed. That there was women everywhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I didn't realise that I wouldn't have the same kind of options yeah, as yeah. everybody else. Because that's that's unusual uh, for for you listening. The the unusual thing about Royal Engineers and Remy, like Remy, Royal Electrical Mechanical Engineers, you get attached to units. You don't. Yeah. You don't get a whole Remy unit posted. You get posted as individuals wherever a VM vehicle mechanic is is needed. Just the same as engineers, it, we we're we're graded as first our, our, our as combat engineer skill. Then we're not usually graded as on our soldiering skills because then it's our combat engineering skill. But then our trade training. So I was a plumber and pipe fitter in the engineers. So so they would they would make sure that the unit had bricklayers, plumbers, architects, design draftsmen, carpenters, joiners, all of the things that you needed in a unit that could go and rebuild a village. So I see so with you, you were you would go to a unit that needed a VM, a vehicle mechanic, but there was only one unit that would accept you because you were female. Yeah, wow. but then I know I suppose at the time as well, um as a female, we couldn't go to tank regiments or anything like that. So they were off anyway. Um, right. So because at the time it was, there's all, um, I'm trying to think now, was I? No, I was a, a UMEC because they split between A and B mech. So B are wheeled and right. A is tracked. Right. And then they went through a phase where you were UMEC, which was like universal. So you did all of it. But for whatever reason at the time, you couldn't go as a, a to a tank regiment or whatever. But, yeah, so I ended up going to um, an Air Defence 12 Reg. Uh, Royal Artillery was my first right. post. Okay. They were in Dortmund at the time. Okay. But we had um, to get posted in threes, three women at a time. They didn't send you to a unit on your own. I think it was because it was the first ones, um, and obviously very, very few females at a unit. So I suppose looking at now, it's a bit of a red flag, but at the time you think, yeah, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. they're kind of looking after you, sending you to, so, with your little friends, do you know what I mean? But you're 
Yeah. You're naive in your twenties, isn't you? So <laughs> yeah. So so it was a bit of a it, it was a bit of a posting with a buddy buddy system yeah. with a with a protective element as well, I suppose. Yeah. So you turned up at the unit, uh, the air support unit, and uh, how did that go? I suppose it could have been worse and it could have been better. You know, um, we weren't kind of, you know, some people spoke to us, some people didn't, some people, you know, the, the actual regiment themselves, um, like I said to you before on our, chat, on our first exercise when I was working on, um, just, you know, spannering away on a Land Rover and the commanding officer came over and asked, you know, how, you know, because they go round, as you know, sure. they yeah. come around and visit everybody, yeah. don't they? Um, and he came over and asked how we were settling in, um, asked if I'd received my MFO yet, and I said no, and he said, oh, do me a favour when you get it, don't unpack it because you're not staying in my regiment. Uh, but the Remio C, you know, because like you say, we were attached. So, yeah. he, you know, he was like, no, they will stay in my workshop. But what they used to do on the um, CO's parades once a month, the Sergeant Major used to put the three of us in the middle rank, and we were behind very tall people, so the CO didn't know that he'd got females in his, you know, on his right. parade square. So oh, oh, okay. hidden us away for a little bit. So that was a very curling attitude. And by the way, if you're not sure what uh, an MFO is, it's the moving forces overseas. So it's the box that all your worldly goods belonging yeah. go with you. I remember packing those. It was, uh, yeah, interesting times. Uh, doing your best to cram it all into one box or maybe two if you were really fortunate. So... So we said, don't unpack your MFO box because you're not staying in this regiment, right? Okay. So that's sort of now you start to see the red flag. On that same exercise, what happened? Or, or on on exercises similar, what happened? Because I imagine because of the way, well, I know that you were good at, you, at what you did because of where you went to, as we're going to discover shortly. What happened that made the possible red flag a red flag for you? Oh, it's not not on that one, but on, you know, exercise, because we ended up staying, to be fair, anyway, obviously politics or whatever, but we ended up staying in, in, in the regiment. Um, but to begin with, we weren't allowed into the fit sections. We all had to kind of stay in the HQ element, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then we were allowed to, and um, we got put in, the three of us, went into separate fit sections. So um, each kind of battery had one female VM. And then we was on an exercise and, you know, vehicle fault comes in, sergeant sends me to go. So I went, you know, um, and the bombardier was like, no, you're not, you're not coming. <laughs> what do you want? And I was like, you know, I've come to fix it. Um, it was a handbrake cable. Um, and he was like, well, you're not working on it. I want, I want a proper VM. And I was like, well, I am a proper VM. And he was <laughs> like, no, I want a bloke VM. And I was like, oh, right. okay. So I went back, you know, and the sergeant was like, well, what are you doing? Why are you back? And I was like, well, he doesn't want me to fix his, you know, fix his vehicle. And he was like, well, I've told you to go. So I kind of bit to and fro in. And then in yeah. the end, our sergeant was just like, well, you know, We've sent Remy, um, he's refused it, that's it. So then um, the next morning, we were, everybody was all um, lined up, ready to drive off. And obviously um, this one vehicle wasn't fit to drive. Um, and then the battery commander was going mental, shouting and, you know, abusing the sergeant. And, the sergeant, and he was like, you Remy just sitting around doing nothing. And he was like, no, 
Rimi assistance was given, your bombardier refused it, you know. Um, and it was a bit sort of like that, but it's like anything, the longer you're there, they kind of get used to it sort of thing. So, yeah. um, And if you don't mind me sharing, when, when, when your sergeant stuck up for you, really, and stuck up for his unit... <clears throat> What was what what happened then when the commander sort of stood back? Who who what did he say to the to the guy, the bombardier who was in charge of the, the vehicle that was stranded and not working? Well, it was a kind of it was one of those, it wasn't really he kind of took his side. He said, I can understand why you wouldn't want that working on your truck, but you know, it's one of those things. On, on you know? work, that working yeah. on your truck, meaning you being yeah. that. Right. Okay. So, and I bet you, I bet you, you've been so polite. I, I bet you there was some more colourful language that was used from the bombardier when he said, "I don't want you working here." Yeah. Right. So, thank you for sharing that. And you know, that would have probably had some sort of effect on you. What What did you think then? Well, I was a bit. I don't know. I suppose going into it, I was a bit naive because I thought because I've worked on building sites and yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean, and they accepted it, so it's just going to be the same. But it it wasn't. It was on a whole different level to begin with. Um, to be fair, and it's like the first time, our first week there, when the three of us, we you know, you know yourself, you're centralised fed. You go into your cookhouse, don't you? You know, yeah, whole, yeah. you know, every single person in the regiment, you know, junior actors sat in there. And when we walked in, the whole place just stopped, and really? it went completely. Yeah, it went completely. You know, you could hear a pin drop. Everyone's up, and then they all just started doing um, pig snorting noises. So we just, to be fair, we just walked out, and I never went in that cookhouse again. So right. So how did how did you eat then? How did you sustain you yourself? Just to get something from the nothing. Really. Yeah, just easier, isn't it, Murphy, to be fair? Nobody knows that. Yeah, that's shocking that. Um so and how long was how long did that go on for? Do you think? Well, like I say, I never went in the cookhouse again, so it was all right. <laughs> but um yeah, I mean, but like I say, you just people get used to seeing you around and the fact that you're still there. Um, but yeah, there were some people, you know, who never spoke to me, some people who, you know, kind of did your little fit section eventually, you know. Um, and there were some good people, don't get me wrong, not everybody yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, was, yeah. you know, all against us and that, you know. And um, it just, it's just that then when you're there for three years and they get used to and they kind of accept you, so then you're lulled into a false sense of security because you think, oh, it's all right now. But then you get posted again and yeah, you go yeah. back to being like, you get posted to a unit that, again, has never had a female in or a section that's never had a female in. So you second what, so then the first, year or whatever or six months is just as hard again and then and it was just like a cycle in the end so that every three years you I kind of just knew that they were going to send me somewhere they were like oh she, we haven't broken her um we'll right. keep sending her to the units that's never had a female because at the end of the three years of our first posting one of the girls um two of them yeah the other two they got out they left and so there was only me left after that so then my second unit was, let me see. Oh, that was a Rimi Battalion. Um, and I went to Pack Section. Yeah. Um, there was a yeah, there, and, and there was there was females there, that was fine, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then after that I went to 
Optocatric to A Range, but I was tank transporters. Um, and again, they hadn't had females working on there, but that was all right. That was good. That was probably my favorite unit, to be fair. Right. So, my, well, first of all, I take my hat off to you. Well done. I salute you because to get that, I, I, can, I can only imagine, right, how that would be. Because I know when I was getting posted that there was a little bit of trepidation wondering what was going to happen but to to think that you had that additional uh pressure because you get posted there and you're on your lonesome aren't you yeah you turn up you turn up in the unit with your mfo box and your kit bag over your shoulder and and that's it you're there so then wow yeah so fabulous so what happened how did your career go then uh your your promotion and I know, I mean, obviously there was always that thing where, you know, women get promoted easy and whatever, but I didn't get promoted any quicker than anybody else, even yeah. though there was always these rumours. Every few years there'd be a rumour come up that there was a directive that you had to have a certain amount of women in each rank by a certain amount of time. So if we got, if any of us got promoted, it was because of this Remy directive, not because uh. of actually passing the course or you know what not I mean? because you were any good you just no, got it yeah you just got so, it because you had a handbag yeah really. so it was it was kind of always that um so but that's to be expected do you know what I mean and then um yeah because I mean I think I'd done I didn't get my lance corporal at my first unit lots of blokes right. did I didn't do you know what I mean um yeah. I got my lance corporal on my class one um which right. is kind of just average um, I got me full screw, I think, at me eight-year point, which is, kind of, again, kind of average, yeah. you know. Did I get me sergeant? I think, yeah. that. Uh, but it was, yeah, when, I think as a as a corporal, you don't, it doesn't really matter then because there wasn't that much kind of, well, there was still a little bit of, you know, people who don't agree with you getting promoted or whatever, or you position yeah. when you come on a course or things like that. And I never came top of any courses. I never came no. bottom. I was just, do you know what I mean? Did, did what I did. Um, but yeah. Um, and then when I got my sergeant, that, that was really hard because I got, um, I got promoted when we were in Iraq um on Optelic and then when we came back um and I was a you know sergeant um I think I don't know I think that there must have been something where people thought that I'd just got my local sergeant for being in there um yeah. and well on, on Optelic yeah, yeah yeah um so that then when I came back and I was you know still a sergeant that kind of and in work, I used to get emails from people all over, all over the world, people I didn't know, do you know what I mean? Just telling me why I should not be a sergeant and exactly what they thought of me being a sergeant. So, well, um, all right. so, they, so they thought, so they thought, let me just get this straight. They thought you got acting sergeant while you were yeah. not an it in Iraq because it just helped with the management of people. And when you come back, you should have been demoted back to, yeah. to a full screw corporal. And that didn't happen. So then you were getting emails and communications yeah. saying, what the hell, who do you think you are being a sergeant? Yeah. So that's really supportive, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel really special. Um, and phone calls as well. Yeah. Loads of abuse. Um, and at that point, I just thought, you know what? I've done... You know, I'm 
halfway through, I was over my 12-year point, and I was like, I can't be doing with it anymore. Do you know what I mean? They should have got used to it by now. Mm. So I went to sign off, um, and then it was only because the chief clerk at the time at the unit that I was at, um, a lovely lady, Frankie Anderson, she was like, don't sign off, Fiona. Um, she said, we've just had some things come through for a posting for recruiting. She said, right. just go, okay. put in for the recruiting, and just so you'll be away from mainstream Remy for two years. They can all kind of settle down and then see what happens. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Just yeah. have a break from it all. And I was like, no, no, no. But yeah, we she managed to convince me. We put in for Edinburgh and London, and Edinburgh was never going to happen because obviously he's recruiting. They want you to be Scottish. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, I get yeah, that. Yeah. But yeah, so I got um I got London um and went off, did my bits and bobs down at the um rec- recruiting school down at Bovington. Um, and then, yeah, um, but when I went, because you have to go, I don't know, with the Royal Engineers, you have to go for an interview, you know, to yeah. go and be a recruiter. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, it was a panel interview up at Horse Guards and went there. And at the final, they were like, have you any questions? We want to, they offered me the position and they were like, you know, have you got any questions? And I was like, what's oh, Central London? And I was like, oh, so... Um, do I get, because there was a flats in Canary Wharf and I was all so excited. And they went, ah, we've just had budget cuts. You're going to be living in the mess in Wellington Barracks. And I was like, oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so then a whole new level of kind of fear, really, because I was like, oh, my God, I'm going into, you know, a guard's mess. Um, and mm. I'd never served with the infantry. Um, and obviously, you know, the guards have got, been around forever and I was just like oh this is going to be a whole new level of they're not going to you know um and I had to write for permission um to the garrison sergeant major um to go be in their mess everything um but no it actually it was amazing was it it? brilliant yeah yeah all the other recruiters um the AFCO London was amazing um working with some um amazing people and the job was really, really rewarding as well, you know. Yeah. Um, um, but, yeah, um, and just being part of the um, combined mess at Wellington Barracks, it was it was really, really good, <laughs> really refreshing, actually, that, yeah, people just, you know, spoke to me just normally. So there was no kind of... Like you were a human being, which yeah. is really good. And you may not realise, you may not appreciate this, or I know that you that you'd probably blush, but the fact is that people who go to recruit recruitment uh, units, it's because they're good, really, because you've got to you you've got to represent the army, uh, or the navy, or the air force. So you've got to be good, and and, and I suppose also you being in Iraq and Optelic, uh, having that experience, because how testing was that at times for you being a sergeant in command of of men and women of of your unit how how was that how did what did that teach you that wasn't yeah no it was it was a bit you know um but it wasn't too bad to be fair we're part of we were with the airport at the time um and it was just you know it's just one of those things where you know you just got to keep the vehicles going and just doing your normal thing really um yeah. because you know obviously you've got force protection with you and stuff but um that's kind of there i mean there was one <laughs> there was only one where we 
there was a vehicle broken down and myself and vehicle electrician um, were asked if we would go out and do it. Um, and I had to go on a briefing and it was some guys from Three Para um, and we was all in the tent, you know, and they're having a briefing and stuff. And it was like, you know, it's quite an unsafe area, shall we say, where the yeah, vehicle yeah. is and everything. Yeah. And everyone, you know, we're taking a briefing and they were, everyone was like, right, okay, any questions? And they all kind of looked at me and they were like, have you not got any questions? And I was like, no, uh, why would I have any questions? And they were like, well, uh, and this guy, this Pyreg guy, he turned around and he said, well, you're not, you know, you're not a bit worried. And I was like, why would I be worried? You know, me, I know me and Benny can fix the truck. You know, you're doing all the other bits and bobs. Yeah. You know, so why would I be worried? And he was like, oh, right, okay. Um, and they're all kind of looking. And I walked out, went back on the fitter truck, and Benny, the electrician, he was like, so, uh, right then, boss, what's happening? And I was just like, oh, all the, I was like, we're going to die, Benny. <laughs> I said, we are actually. I said, do you know what I mean? I'm all right. I, you know, single, no kids, whatever. I said, but you've got a wife and kids. I said, I'm oh, so sorry. I said, yeah. this is going to be horrific. And it, we we were just laughing in the end, do you know what I mean? And we went out and everything was fine, obviously, do you know what I mean? But, yeah, it was just having to put that kind of front on in front of all these power red guys in a briefing. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, like, going back and I was just like, yeah, but, no, it was all fine. Um, it's just one of those things, you know, it's like you, you just do your job and you know you guys can fix the yeah. truck, so, yeah. And and that's typical military, that. I mean, like, it's like the, the swan... Serenely yeah. swimming along and the top of the water and underneath the underneath the water, below the legs are going like Billy oh so you're standing there, yeah, and everything's okay, no problem. And then and then you go out to your uh uh colleague uh and say we're gonna die. So <laughs> so that sort of yeah, puts it into perspective. So now you're in a recruitment uh position and everything's going great, uh, uh which is uh, uh I suppose dropping a pen would be the clear, nearest you get to being in a conflict zone with someone um, then. And how does, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, by the way, because you've got all this background knowledge. And when you're speaking to potential recruits, especially females, you know what sort of behaviour they're going to be subjected to. So how do you... And you mentioned that you had a lot of successes and it gave you a lot of reward. How did you sort of prepare the candidates or potential recruit, recruits for the career that they could have? Well, central London obviously has its own kind of... So you would have people who'd come in and they weren't bothered what they wanted to do. They just wanted to get in, especially kind of young lads who it was like seeing all their friends going down a different path and it was yeah. you know why do you want to join the army well i don't want to go to prison and if i stay living around here i'll go down that way you yeah. know um yeah. so it was a lot of that um but going into schools and things you know it was a good but it was just sometimes it's it was just really good to see how, you know um how people just some people have always wanted to join the military and you know yourself you'll have worked with people who's family you know their granddad was this yeah. and their dad was yeah. this and their brothers and their uncles and you know that's yeah. what they want to do and then you have some people who were just like 
you know, probably a bit like I was when I left school. They don't know what they want to do. And yeah. so it, it was those, you know, where you can talk to them about all the trades, you know, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and the fact that when I was in recruiting, all the trades were open to everybody anyway. Yeah. So it was, yeah, and it, it was just... It was just nice to be able to see and match people and everything. And I used to love it. And it's so nice when they get they get accepted and, you know, and and every now and again, not all the time, but you would just get the odd email back from someone who finished basic training or whatever, do you know what I mean? And they would yeah. keep in touch. Um, oh, right. And, you know, and it's when you, are, when you have the people who come in, I think the most rewarding ones are the ones or maybe, you know, they may not have, got the score they wanted for their trade or they may not have the fitness or whatever and they go away and they genuinely do come back six yeah, months yeah. or a year later yeah. and they've put the work in and put the effort in and you know that they're going to go off and and be fine you know yeah. um so yeah i i just i just loved it um it was really and also as well i mean um i met my husband while i was recruiting there as well so well, yeah great. so you know um when we left London, you know, um, I went as a bit of a tipped up as a bit of a bitter and twisted <laughs> kind of, you know, this is a kind of make or break post. If it doesn't work, I'm going to yeah, leave yeah, yeah. and left married and pregnant, you know. So it was, <laughs> <laughs> that's a bit of a turn on that. Yeah, it was. Yeah. 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 Not expecting any of that, but yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's a fantastic comeback. So that leads me nicely into something that I always, it's the one question, I suppose, that that is linked to another one that I really enjoy asking, and that's how do you deal with failure? Because, I mean, you've been kicked a few times and, and sometimes, like, literally, uh, which is what we didn't go in, which is what we didn't cover, actually, because you were, you were subjected to some physical violence, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, and and how did you how do you deal with failure? What goes on in your mind? Because you've obviously got some great success uh, models, and and we don't need to go into the the actual physical uh, the events themselves where there was physical abuse, other than to mark the the occasion that there was. Uh, and how do you deal with the failure? What processes have you got? I don't really know. To be fair, it's just one of those things where um i think it would have been different i suppose my i think when because a lot of people if they are if the military doesn't work out they can leave and they can go back home if mm. you haven't got that relationship at home and so you haven't got that safety net to go anywhere else you've got to make it work on you yeah 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 so it was kind of that with me but I think I did have um, my own, and this made me laugh. My, uh, I don't if you remember the film Private Benjamin. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, yeah. I had uh, was that that was that Goldie Hawn, was yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so we're showing our age now, but um, yeah. but yeah, I had a massive. I call it my um, Private Benjamin moment um, when I was on my um, SMC, so your seniors course. You know that yeah. you do. Yeah. to get you qualified for sergeant. Um, and I know some people, obviously, like infantry, they go to Breckham for six months or whatever. You know, yeah, yeah. at the time, the Remy one was six weeks, so that is, but it was six weeks. And I remember, um, yeah, it, it was that was 
probably the hardest thing. I, it was so, do you know what I mean? For, for the first three weeks, you're not allowed to walk anywhere, which is fine. Do you know what I mean? You've got all your kit on and everything. So, I, you know, you're dropping weight left, right, and centre. Uh, and, and by the way, that doesn't mean to say you've got to stick in one place. That means you don't walk, you run. Yeah. By the way, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so the building in camp and you know, and then you were out on the area or whatever. And they used to do um and yeah, there was three milers, ten milers, six milers or whatever, and they were all the test things and stuff. And and then there was on one of them and you're running and it's on the sandals and stuff, and you've got the, the jack wagon behind you. And yeah. I was, you know, and I was fit, but not the fittest I've ever been, do you know what I mean? But I wasn't yeah. unfit, but I don't know, and over the sand and stuff, and I was falling back, and the jack wagon was getting closer and stuff. <laughs> and then I just fell, and it in the tank track, and I was fade down in the mud, you know? And you know when you did? <laughs> that was my problem. And I just... And the jack wagon stopped, and he was just revving and revving and revving, and he just kept shouting, just get in, Doris, get in. And then, because if you got in the wagon, that was it, done. And he was yeah. like, Doris, get in the wagon. And I just, you know, and I was just I was just so tired and so low. And it was like one of those things, I'm either going to lie here and just drown, and then, then it'll all be over, <laughs> or I can drag myself up and sort my life out. And that was my kind of epiphany. And wow. because I didn't lie there and drown, I didn't get in the track back in, and I just I don't know. Um, and I managed, I dragged myself, and I was so far behind, but whatever it was, I managed to catch up, so I wasn't the last one going in. And even the DS wow. were like, How has she got back up here? Do you know what I mean? And I don't know, and that was kind of that was the whole mental switch yeah. for me, and then you know, um, it just I don't know, I think that was where all the accumulation of what had happened before or whatever, it just, I don't know, it, it, I just got a lot tougher. It kicked, it kicked in. Yeah. Uh, and b by the way, on that course that you were on, that that wasn't just females, was it? It wasn't female. I was the only female course. on there. I was on the. Um, you were the only I was one. The only and, female on every course. And I you didn't on. come last, which is no. fabulous. Because I know when I used to take guys out, Running, whether it was male and female, uh, as a as a PTI, right? I could always tell who was going to jack. But with it, if it was a ten mile, a ten mile, I I knew pretty much by three mile who was going to jack. And 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 I'd have been looking at you, thinking, "Come on, girl, you've got this," because because you can just tell, can't you? Because the fact and the jack wagon behind him, meaning the, the wagon that you get on when you jack it in, he was revving up, "Come on, Doris." And that must have made you think, right, fella. And then it just clicked. <laughs> and then it just clicked. You might have yeah. thought something else on right fella, actually. Yeah. So you got in there and then and then that was it. You passed. You, so you're at the recruiting office now, bring changing all these uh young kids' lives from a life of crime to actually getting into the military and doing something good with their lives because they know if they don't turn it around. So that must be rewarding. What what happened then? Where did you go to with your career and what made you get out? After that, I, I mean, and also I was, I'm just not lucky, I don't think. Um, they changed maternity leave because at the time when when I was pregnant, it was, you only got three months. Um, and then the day I went on maternity leave, the, it changed. So you could have six months off right. um, on full pay. And I remember... Um, you know, so, so then I phoned up and said, oh, it's, and they were like, no, you're on the old contract. So I had three months um, maternity leave um, and then back 
um, posted, um, and that's when I was posted to Aldershot then. So, yeah, I got posted there, did three years at 27, and then um, went to 10 Reg, 10 QOGLR, where I got my staff sergeant um, there. And then from there, 2012, that would be that was me, my 22. So I start, I, I would start my resettlement. However, um, I got um, offered an extension and me start major. Um, so, yeah, I went I, for my last two years was at Arborfield, where they kind of closed down now anyway, Arborfield. I was yeah. there. But that just made me laugh, that did, because um, it was phase two for Remy technicians um, at Arborfield. So my whole career, I'd been a VM, um, and then they, you know, send a VM sort major in with um, little um, phase two text. But no, no, it was all right. That was good. It was all right. So, so that's a fabulous career. And 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 I think the turning point was has got to be where, how you deal with failure is that face in the mud. Come on, Doris, that vehicle revving. <laughs> right. Right. So how many, ta- how many other times did you – use that because I suppose that's a visual representation and and, an auditory because you can hear the wagon as well. That's sort of the process now that that you used whenever you got in a sticky wicket, perhaps, or something the same. Um, I just just think that it just kind of gets easier, do you know what I mean? And also as time goes on in the early 90s, yeah, there was lots of, you know, physicality against everybody wasn't there in the military you know yourself you know um it was kind of the norm so then getting um into like you know 2000s and stuff it's not accepted so then it's just microaggressions and just little verbal little things that i've heard all before do you know what i mean by the time you've done over 10 years there was nothing anybody was going to say to me that had never been said before so it really it was water off a duck's back then you yeah, know, yeah. and 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 to be honest, you know, it obviously it's still it it does bother you, and no one and you're going to say, you know, but I would tell myself it didn't bother me, but it is what it is. But um, it's just the fact that yeah, nothing like I say they weren't going to say anything that had never been heard before. It it was just I don't know the thing that used to annoy me the most was the arrogance that they presumed I had to prove myself to them. Yeah. What yeah. about them proving themselves to me? Yeah. That was, but you know, I, I can You just normalise it, don't you? Really, just to get day to day, and then you realise, and then you know yourself, anybody, whoever's in uh, any kind of um, employment or at the same place for a long time, you just you get institutionalised to their processes and their yeah, ways, yeah. don't you? You know, yeah. so that's just kind of how it is. No, I, I just want to touch on something which is a very important aspect because because when you got posted to the shop, all the shop, you, you found out that the, you could have six months maternity leave. This is and then it, and then they said this is what you could have had. Now you're only getting three months. Because because right, I'm a bloke, as you know, and I, and and I've 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 got three sons, right? I never gave birth to them though. So that's a totally different journey right 
and I care for my sons and I father them uh, like a great father should. The fact is, though, you 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 mother them like um, like my wife mothers my sons. That's it. to actually give birth, and you're in the army. How did that affect your career? What what source of arrogance or misogynistic behaviour did you come across? If that's a strong word, misogynistic, but I suppose it could be considered that. After giving birth, and obviously you have the health visitor come around and stuff, and yeah. she's checking on you and your baby, and I'm like, when can I go for a run? And she was like, you can't go for a run. You've, you know, you've got to, um, without getting into too many details, stitches, whatever, you know, she said, you can't go for a run. And I was like, but I'm back in work in 12 weeks. Yeah, yeah. And I, I need to go for a run. And she was like, no, no, no. And she was like, definitely not before five weeks, you know, and then it's six weeks. I was like, I need to go for a run. And she was like, no, I don't think so. And I was like, well, I kind of got it. But when I got posted, um, when I went back after maternity leave, there was a nobody asked how long I'd been on maternity leave, and I didn't say it was just kind of because I presumed everybody it would people would know, but they all presumed I took a year because you were because obviously the new contract was up to six months full pay, and then you went on half pay, so people were taking a year, but I didn't even know that the half pay thing was an option, you know. Um, so I just took I had three and a half months that was it and then um I was back at work and I remember when I was booking in and I um I did ask I did ask um at the gym if there was you know any kind of PT program for people coming back off maternity and the guy said you should have trained while you were off and not sat on your backside watching daytime TV. And I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> there you go. I asked and that's your answer. Um, so, oh, yeah. well, that, that was very that was very constructive. Well, shame on him as a PTI, a physical training instructor, giving you that answer. But, yeah, and then it, it got – it was a bit awkward um, because I was posted in and I was uh, – they had me down on the all back to go to Afghan. I had to then, at my initial, you know yourself, when you have an OCs interview when you're first in, I had to say, well, actually, I can't go to Afghan because my husband is already on Afghan training. Um, he's going. And at the time, and again, I've, I've been out eight years, so I don't know if it's changed, but at the time, two serving parents couldn't be posted. Right. Couldn't go on operations at the same time when your baby's less than a year old. Right, okay. Because obviously you needed one parent to be looking after the baby. So, um, yeah, so that didn't go down very well that I wasn't going to be going. I'd be doing rear party because my husband was already, he was already on pre-deployment training and in the rotation. Do you know what I mean? He was going out a lot. Their unit was, they were already in the cycle, whereas my unit had only just started, you know, so... Well, I can say, I, I, I mean, I, I, we could talk for hours, days, uh, yeah. especially on that. And, and and what I can say is thank you so much for your service uh, because now we're going to move on in a second. We'd be, we'd just, just for me to recognise that you've had a baby, your husband's also serving, that must have caused some interesting conversations and interesting challenges. I can see you nodding your head there. And actually, when I said, I'm not sure misogynistic was a, a strong word and you, you, were, you were shaking as if, no, no, that's that's an okay word to use, Joe. Um, so, so, right, you've, you've reached 
the dizzy heights with all the with all the crap you've had to put up with. You've reached the dizzy heights of the sergeant major, right? You've beaten blokes when you're running and sort of, sort of gone, got you, mate. And uh, you commanded men, commanded women, being at the top of your game, helped get children off the streets and helped improve their lives. So what made you get out and how did you transition and what sort of challenges did you have? But I left because that was the end of my contract. Do you know what I mean? Right, okay. So, you know, did the... Uh, 24 years, well, 23 and a half, I think it was, something like that. Um, and then I did um, – I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was leaving. Um, when I was leaving, a lot of Remy were all going to work at Jaguar Land Rover at the time. That was kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to go back because obviously SART majors aren't trade-related. I didn't want to go back into kind of engineering or trading or mechanics or whatever whatever you want to call it. I didn't want to go into that. Didn't particularly want to work with all men anymore. I was just like, I just want to work in a normal, whatever normal is, do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. you don't know when you leave in the military, do you? No. Um, but yeah. Yeah, because think, uh, cause the, the military isn't normal. No. No. So, yeah, you know. You don't really know what, um, but I, 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 re- I genuinely didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and that was a bit of a kind of panic for me. Um, you know, I did the CTW, the three-day CTW. And like I said to you before, I used to just go home and in a big panic because everybody else seemed to be starting their own business, knowing what they wanted to do. And I was like, I don't know. But I had an amazing um, careers consultant, um, Stephanie Moore. She doesn't work for CTP anymore, but she was amazing. And I did lots of skills assessments and she took me through every single job, you know, every single posting, every single job that I did in the military. And then she would be like, right, stop, stop there. Your face lit up when you spoke about that. Right, move on. And, you know, and so she was like, right, when you were doing this, what skills did you use? And she really unpacked it for me. Um, And at the same kind of time, I remember watching a documentary and it was the fairy job mother. And it was a lady up north who worked with long-term unemployed. And she was so glamorous, uh, you know, because a woman in the in the army, you know, no makeup. And, you know, this lady was so glamorous with her hair and her makeup and her nails done and that. And she was there in a room with these long-term unemployed um, people in a flip chart and she was writing down all their skills and helping them build a CV. And I thought, I want to be that lady. Do you know right. She was amazing. Um, she was it really, you know, um, and so I was like, right, I'm going to go. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get into the employability space. So for my resettlement, I did a HR level three and I did PETLS, um, which is now um, education and something, isn't it? Teach- yeah. um, it's not PETLS and kettles and that <clears throat> don't exist anymore it's now I can't remember what it is level three or level four in education and training I think it is now if I remember um so yeah that's kind of what I did um and there was a role um I applied for an employment advisor at A4E um but I also just in case I applied for a job uh at at JCB franchise um running the diaries of the engineers and I did what many, many, many service leavers do. I went for interviews with both of them and I bottled it at the last minute and I didn't go for the A4E job. I went for what I knew I could do 
at JCB. Um, uh, so, you went, so you went for your comfort zone. Yeah, I had a bit of a crisis of confidence, as so many people leaving the military do, and I should have really believed in myself a little bit more. But A4E then lost the contract and went bust and no longer exist. So maybe, during things happen for a reason. Well, um, well yeah, that's interesting. No, no. The thing is that you've hit on something there, and, and and like I could let that I could let that comment go uh, in the ten seconds that it took you to say. The fact is that there's a lot of psychology going on there, isn't there? Right. So now you could argue that that was kismet or a bit of gut feeling, and you got it right because that company went bust. And if you had gone to them, you would have been out of a job, and you went for JCB, and you still had a job. Right. So. Whichever one it was, what sort of struggles were you having going on inside your head? Because I mean, look what you've done. You've did, you you joined the military. You came from a from a, a background before the military that that you didn't go into that much. But what you did say is the reason you stayed in the army is because you had nothing to go back to. So uh, we can chat about that another time. But we don't need to go there. We'll part that. So you've gone from. That to the military, taking the abuse. I know there's been some colourful language, right? You, you've got, you've been promoted. You're in command of men. You've, you've beaten men on on runs in the dirt and everything, on five milers, ten milers. You're here. You transition great, and then you just had a crisis of confidence. What what happened? Um, I think it's just, and it's it's that. Who are you? You know, out of the uniform. Yeah. And then I think also as well, it was like, who, because everybody, everybody leaving the military has that, you know what I mean? If, so, you know, some more than others, I think, you know, the longer that you've been or the more immersed you've been in. Um, but also it was, I think for me personally, was not only who are you without the uniform, but who are you if you hadn't had to pretend to be one of the boys for them times? Who would have, who would have been? And that's what I really, really struggled with for a long time. And how did you get through that? I just think of just a bit of time, really, I suppose. Because if you've been in there, you know, at the time, like half your life, it's it's not going to change overnight, is it? Do you know what I mean? Your mindset and stuff. But so really, in a way, the JCB thing was kind of like a... It, it was kind of like a comfort zone because, yeah, you're still working with engineers, but I'm, I'm in my office with all women schedulers and stuff. So I get that bit, get to be able to, you know, wear what you want, put your makeup on, whatever, get my nails done. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm still talking to male engineers. So it kind of, I was kind it did, I, I stayed there for a year and it, it did kind of, it, it, helped me kind of transition out sort of thing. And then I went from there to um, William Amy um, that had the contract for the military housing um, <laughs> and scheduling um, engineers there as well. Um, and then from there, that's when a role came up. Um, I saw advertised for CTP. And I just always remember how Steph, Steph Moore had helped me so much when I was struggling. And I'd always said even when I was going through my transition and Ruth was the office manager, I'd all, I've always said that I wanted to work there because they got, you know, where I was struggling and they'd really helped me. So I was like, I'd love to be able to do that for other people. 
so yeah, then I went and worked for CTP for three years. So yeah, um, and there's nothing, and I, and I loved it. And I know some people, you know, I've got everyone's got their opinions on CTP um, and pop out there. But yeah, yeah. I, you know what I mean? I helped people the best that I could, and I loved being in that classroom. Do you know what I mean? With me flip chart behind me writing on it, so I did my little fairy job yeah. other bit. Um, I loved it. Um, but, you know, three years, and I think as well sometimes, and a lot of people who've been in the military a long time, especially in corps who get – I'm used to moving every three years. Yeah. So three yeah. years was um, – do you know what I mean? And it was after after lockdown and the pandemics and everything was going on with a lot of people, wasn't it? So, yeah. Um, but then I went and worked at FedCap with supporting long-term unemployed yeah. – um, not – not military people with um unspent convictions everything you know um and that was really rewarding um but they moved so and the commute wouldn't um wouldn't have been good enough so that's right. why um I worked there so and, yeah. and it's and it's interesting you touch on the fact that everyone's got their opinion of ctp and i suppose it's pretty much like the military right some people got on with you because you were a female and then other people thought, I'm not talking to you because you're a female. So, and in CTP, it's about people, isn't it? So that, so it's not necessarily the the rules or the or the structure, it's the way this rules and structure is interpreted. Would that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and so you've gone to work with, you've come gone over to work with people who are um, having difficulties and then, and then because of the commute, you decided to end that there. So what happened next? Um, and then I worked at the, well, it was RF RFA, that's the Forces Employment Charity. Yeah. Um, worked there and then um, through the power of LinkedIn, got um, approached by a recruiter and now um, work on the Microsoft Military Affairs Programme. That's absolutely brilliant. So it's like a full circle, right? Civvy military, civvy, and then and then sort of military without without the abuse, I suppose. <laughs> if I, if I may put it like that respectfully. Um, <clears throat> so we've touched on how you deal with failure. I want to know the secrets to your success, and I, and I know you you're smiling now as if to say, well, what success have I had? Well, I mean, the fact is that. I, I've already listened, right, and I, and I know you. We've grown to know each other now. What is the secret to your success? What what would you put it down to? Do you reckon? I don't know because I just I don't see myself as. Uh, you know what I mean? It depends yeah, what yeah, you yeah. think of as success. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Um, I'm just a normal person. I think. Yeah. You just I don't know if. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how to answer that. To be fair. Because... Yeah. Well, well. Okay. Let me, let me, let me make it a little bit easier because success can be measured in, yeah. in, in money, monetary terms. It can be measured in career. It can be measured in spiritual relationships, uh, all sorts of things. Health. So, so if you look at it like that now, I mean, what, what is it that drives you? Because I mean, you're a mother. You're a mother. You're a wife. You're a career woman. What what drives you? I don't, um, I don't know really. To be fair, I think I mean my go back on the success. I I 
I think I'm a success because my son's 16 and still wants to talk to me. Do you know what I mean? And it's 16 to have your son talking to you. That is a yeah. massive success. Yeah, he'll still come, not all the time, obviously, but do you know what I mean? But he will still come out to town and sit and have a coffee with me. Do you know what I mean? Oh. Whereas when I was 16, well, from about the age of 12, 13, I I didn't even speak to my parents. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think that way I'm a success. That's how I I kind of see yeah. it. Um, yeah. But anything else, I don't know. I just think, I don't know, because I don't see myself as a, being a successful person, if that makes sense. Right, okay. Well, I... I... Well, I respect I respect where you're coming from with that. Although, listen, you listening will probably have a little bit of a different opinion. So, now we're moving on to I want to look at social and business networks. How important do you think they are? And you know, for people who are either not military uh, or transitioning from the military or have been out of the military for a while. How important do you think your social and business networks are? Um, I think you should can it because a lot of it is not what you know, it's who you know. Um, but there's yeah. always somebody might think of something, you know, because if you've got a big, not a huge network, but, you know, you could, like you say, you could see a job posted and think, well, actually, I was speaking to a guy three weeks ago who was interested in that, and then you would message him. During, yeah, yeah. Whereas if you're just doing it all standalone, then there's nobody to message you to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it is, you just never know when you might need something, but it does kind of work both ways, I think. You've got... Don't because a lot of people they do it all right. You see, especially on LinkedIn, um, they're leaving the military or they're unemployed or they've just been made redundant and they're they're doing everything. They're applying for roles. They're reaching out to recruiters. They're sending you know their personalised invites. Everything doing everything correctly, following up. But then once they get a job, they drop off. And yeah, so they yeah. don't keep that network nurtured so that then. Especially, you know, in the current climate where you're seeing redundancies and layoffs, they then they're suddenly a year later they get laid off. They've ignored that network. Yeah. And they think they can just come back in and pick yeah. up whereas you can't, you've got to constantly and you don't have to be on all the time. It's like, you know, if you I don't know, it I think it was if you react to ten posts on LinkedIn and comment on three a day. You, you know what I mean? It, it should keep you enough. Yeah, but just yeah. while you're waiting for the kettle to boil, just react to a couple of posts or, fo or follow a, a new company or send a personalized mm. connection request to somebody who works at the company that you want, you know, that you're interested in. And just little things. You don't have to spend four hours an evening on there. So, you know, but it's just keeping everything nurtured, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah, and that's a great tip, actually. <clears throat> little and often, uh, which, which, <clears throat> which is a great tip. The other thing, of course, it's not – you don't have to know everybody – the, the fact is, if you know a few people, you don't, you're not aware of who they know and they can connect you, can't they? Yeah. So that's really good. And and you mentioned a few people, um, especially Steph Moore, and then you would have had people like your, your sergeant and the people who care for you when you're in the military, now the people who, 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 who care for you now. What, what do you think the benefit is of having a good coach or mentor? 
Um, I think some some people don't see. I think now more people see the benefit of having um, mentors. Um, some people don't. I think in the military, um, old days, you know, that old sergeant was always yeah. everybody's mentor. Normally in HQ, do you know yeah. what I mean? Who people used to go um, and talk to. And he he was everybody's mentor, I think. And I yeah, think yeah. so many units had those. Um, and they would just sit and listen and impart some huge pearl of wisdom over the fang break area. And then just <laughs> yeah. wandered off. Um, but they fang, were break, fang break earlier. I haven't heard that yeah. term for a while. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, they, so even though it's not what you'd think of as mentoring today, it yeah. served exactly the same purpose. And even if you just have, you know, a talk with somebody in, you know, and once you're in a company, I know a lot of the larger companies, they do professional mentors. And sometimes as part of your onboarding process, you get given, you know, your person who you'll work shadow for like a month who then becomes your unofficial mentor because once because that's the first per if that's the first person you connect with at that at that com new company they're going to have a special place in your heart aren't they all the time yeah, yeah. you work there because yeah. they were the person who trained you so what i've always done is that one person i've always then referred back to them no, long, no matter how long you stay in that place it's always that person you're going to come back to so yeah. even officially they may not have been given the label as oh that's Fiona's mentor they've all, I've been their mentee and I've always looked to them and that's kind of what I would say even if you don't be officially given a mentor at a, at a place that you're working just find someone that you're comfortable with and they unofficially become that mentor if that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah it does of course and and the other thing uh when you transition from the military right and now the skills you've got now and developed uh, because I suppose when you went to G GCB, that was the apprenticeship for you for to be a civilian. Cause like when you were joining up with Remy, the, the army spent a long time stripping the civilian out of you, building up the, the, the soldier, if you like. But when you left, they didn't strip the army out of you and build you up as a civilian. So then you were in JCB. So how transferable do you think the skills are from military to civilian life? Um, I think, you know, you've all, uh, I think you've got so many and it's always nice when people, you see the little light bulb moment come off and you see, they suddenly get how employable they are and you can't, there isn't enough money in the world that take, that, do you know what I mean, that makes that worth, I love that seeing that when you're working with people transitioning out of the military and you suddenly, they suddenly get it and they realise how employable they are, that makes it everything worthwhile. But I think, it's the ability to speak to anybody. So I, th I think, especially in the roles that I've gone into, you know, um, because, you know, a lot of it, it was like the first two jobs I had was very customer service heavy. Um, but the fact that, you know, in the military, you're used to, you know, I mean, I I did, I did instructor stuff, but even if you're not an instructor, from when you're doing your NCO, training and stuff, you know, yeah. and all the courses that the military send you on, you get used to, you have that confidence. Um, yeah. You're used to talking to people. So when you go out into the civilian world, um, you you are comfortable picking up a phone and answering a phone and you yeah. know how yeah. to answer that phone because you get taught yeah. that in basic training, how to take a telephone message. Well, yeah. I did. I don't know if they still do that now. <laughs> 
I didn't, I didn't get much of that in the engineers, actually, but I mean, I'm sure that it, it happens now. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's just being able to do that um, and it's the interaction and even, I mean, I, and I came a master of it, it doesn't matter what you think of that person who, you know, you put your work face on and nobody ever, you know, um, and so you just get on with, you know, you get, you can, make connections with people yeah, yeah. whether they're real or not do you know what I mean um is a whole different ball game but you know you you make connections easy with people yeah. and quicker I think you know yeah. because you can go in and you and it's the ability to see the big picture as well because you just I don't know the the military teaches you to do that because you're mm. always used to stepping in to someone else's shoes, either above to the side or then going back down into. You know what I mean? You know you yeah. do all that. Everybody in a section can do everybody else's roles. Yeah. So whereas not everybody can do that, so you get the whole big picture view of everything. Whereas you you work with people who are very blinkered and only won't go out the remit of their roles, will they? Yeah. I'm not I, saying every civilian's like that, but some are very. Yeah. And you're eminently qualified, having worked with CTP and now what you do, now what the work you do, um, and you've always been about nurturing people and recognising the skills. Because I, while you were saying that, I just processed back to in basic training where we were taught the um, prioritisation for someone who's injured breathing, bleeding, breaks, burns, all those years ago. And we were sent into the ablutions and there were people screaming, running around. Uh, and and we had, I had to take an assessment. I mean, I'm age 18 at this point. Take assessment of what was going on. And we noticed that there was someone not making any noise in the toilet cubicle because he wasn't breathing. And then we had to, there was mayhem and we got it all under control and we got top marks as a section. And that's the sort of stuff you get, isn't it? From yeah. a very, so even privates or sappers can still still have that ability. Oh, definitely. So yeah. yeah. So thank you for that, and that's really good feedback. So the Colombo question is: Oh, and one more thing. Right? What's the top tip you would give to someone leaving the military, someone out of the military, or someone just having some challenges with life at the minute? Because goodness knows we're having some interesting times. What's the one tip you'd give them? I would say if you if for people leaving the military, go with what they want to do, what spark find their why or what sparks joy and go for that. Right. Don't do everything. Don't don't go down the same path that everybody else who's leaving at the same time is doing. It might be a little bit harder, but if you can find out your reason, because You've got another 30 years of work, so you want to find something that you're going to enjoy. And just, I suppose, for anybody who's going through, I don't know whether if you're going through anything, it's just, I mean, I'm my worst. I, I would never, I mean, obviously the advice is you should always speak to somebody, but I don't. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm one of those people that I will deal with it myself. Yeah. Yeah. And then six months later, do you know what I mean? I'll share the story with whoever. Do you know what I mean? But at the time, so yeah, take my advice, but I, I don't I don't do it myself. I try and find somebody to talk to and because it is a problem shared is a problem halved, isn't it? You know? Yeah, yeah. Um yeah. and yeah, don't you shouldn't internalize everything. You should try and talk through it and find somebody who will listen to you. 
Well, Fiona, thank you so much. That was so enlightening. And 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 for sharing your innermost thoughts, it was brilliant. Thanks again and take care. No, thank you so much for the opportunity. I've probably bored you to tears. You'll go up now and be like, oh, not, my days. Not at all. <laughs> I, I'm just mesmerised. Fantastic. Have a brilliant day. And you, Joe. Thank you so much.